Welcome to this episode of the Connection Podcast. Today we interview a good friend, Greg Goodrich from Springfield Second Ward, currently actually serving as a missionary over in the Blue River branch. He has a lot of interesting life experience that I'm sure you'll see over the course of this interview. You may have noticed that I've been doing two-parter episodes for a lot of people, which I think has been helpful to kind of limit the length of every episode. But with Greg, we decided to do a full length because really, as you see the flow of the conversation, it never really stops. And I, I felt it was better to just keep it as one single episode. You'll hear a few inside jokes and references that I wanted to clarify here just for people who may not know us very well. Uh, Greg Goodrich, myself, Reed Stockwell, Kevin Durfee, and other people that weren't in the interview, we go on a yearly golf trip called the Odyssey. And you'll hear that reference throughout this episode, along with some of the shenanigans that happened during that trip. Anyways, I hope you enjoy this episode. I know that we enjoyed making it. Welcome to the Connection Podcast. I'm Jason Keister, the show's producer, and we've got all returning guest hosts here. Super excited to have them on. We have also our guest of honor, that it would be Greg Goodrich. Greg, welcome. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. And our guest hosts all know Greg pretty well. I want to have you guys intro yourselves and then talk about how you know Greg. Uh, this is Reed. Stop. Former bishop. Former <laughs> No <laughs> longer bishop. <laughs> yeah. Breaking no, news. Yeah, I was told, I called an ex today by a number of people. <laughs> hey, ex, how are you doing? I think for you particularly, ex-bishop's <laughs> appropriate. Ex, that's right. Uh, ex-patriot, right? Um, Greg and I have known each other uh, just because we've been in a long time ago in the same building together at Market Street, a long time ago, but um, we do, do a lot of time golfing now. I've at seen least, some pictures there where at least one of you had some hair. It had to be great. <laughs> <laughs> I shaved mine off every time. This is all I got. <laughs> I've seen you with hair, Reed. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> well, I'll show you some other pictures someday. You'll be shocked to see that's not Reed. He has hair. Um, but Greg and I uh, knew each other from uh, a long time ago in just church bouncing off each other between wards. And then he knows my brother really well. Um, and uh, then we got together. He showed up one time at a golf thing that we were involved in, and we've been thicker than thieves ever since then. And uh, I've been partnered with him and also against him in mm -hmm. golf. In golf out. Which one do so, you prefer? Oh, I'd rather be his friend. I'd rather be, <laughs> oh, I'd rather be gotta, yeah, with him than against him. <laughs> well, there was that one little time, right? <laughs> there was one, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but yeah, I agree on you'd rather be with Craig most of the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah especially when he's getting those uh, eagle putts. And oh, all that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just and, and and then Jeff, you're with us too. Yep. My name is Jeff Fuller, and I'm happy to be here. I uh, have lived in the same ward as Greg for, I guess, as long as I've been there because you were there when I got there. <laughs> so uh, about 18 years, and um, I say we worked most closely together while I was serving as bishop, and he was the executive secretary. And uh, as anybody that served in either of those positions may know, that's a pretty special relationship, I think. And I feel like at least for us, it was. And uh, just as far as the things that I learned from Greg, um, his friendship and uh, sometimes the protection that he provided me <laughs> in a variety of different ways um it's protecting my time and my family it's and my sanity sometimes right? there, yeah. yeah yeah absolutely yeah. and uh i just love and, and respect him a great deal so i'm excited to talk with him today cool great so we'll start out with the icebreaker a fun question today and then we'll get into our normal stuff 
Uh, we were talking about Greg's favorite beverages here, and I wanted to ask you guys, what is your favorite beverage to just chill out with at the end of a long day or whatever? I, I can start with mine, and, and we'll, you guys are going to laugh at mine, so we'll just go with that. But <laughs> my favorite, I don't know why, man. I, I just grew up thinking that soda, particularly caffeinated soda, was bad, and so I always felt a little edgy drinking Mountain Dew. Yeah, I always did. And so for me, like at the end of a day golfing or snowboarding or anything I yeah. like to do, I'll have like a sugared Mountain Dew and that's like a treat. A sugared one. Yep. <laughs> it has to be sugar. sugared. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> what about you, Reed? Well, I grew up uh, in Southern California and they just started making uh, this one grinder place we like going to. They started making cherry Coke uh-huh. there. Oh, like so, grinder place? Uh, grinders. Like hoagies? Like and... Subway sandwiches, but these oh. were Italian grinders, okay. so you get a big sandwich. I'm not even going to follow that. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so it would be cherry Coke, and I mean, with real cherry yeah. juice, they'd pour it in, and, and so I'm, I love real Coke. Caffeine. I thought you were like going mm-hmm. back in time to like Make, the soda go, jerk and a soda oh, fountain. Well, no, no, they didn't know that. No, they didn't. No, You're not that old. Well, you could be that old. <laughs> Almost. Yeah. 60s. Yeah. Yeah, late 60s. And then it was just, so cher- I like cherry Coke. So I don't mix it that way. I'll get a little cherry Coke in with my Coke. So I'm a Coke drinker, not a Pepsi, even though I'm sucking on one here. I'll, uh, you know. Yeah, we'll get by. Yeah, it's, we'll get by. You know, it's, it's limited a, limited options at the Keister household. So, I'm gonna have to yeah. bring a box. There's actually yeah. quite a few options. <laughs> none of them yeah. are coconut weird stuff. Right? Like what yeah. Jeff's drinking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what about you, Jeff? Uh, I would say also a Coke. Um, although in the summer, <laughs> I think of Mountain Dew as like a fruit juice, <laughs> <laughs> which maybe you shouldn't say a lot, right? But it's a treat too. So, um, but I would say right now it is like anything that has like full sugar because yeah. I'm at that age now where my metabolism doesn't work as well. And so, uh, I try to drink more like zero sugar sodas, but now if I get something that's like the real stuff, yeah, that's a treat. The real stuff. Yeah, no aspartame. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Greg? Uh, you know, growing up, Coke was uh, king. We had uh, at one of the drive-ins that we used to frequent, they had what was called a zombie. And, <laughs> I'm already into it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> tell me more. And yeah. it was <laughs> it was uh, Coke on ice with rum extract. Oh. And uh, I developed quite a taste for that. But then I got away from Coke after my mission. And stuck with the rum. (laughs) (laughs) I straightened out a little bit. No extra. You know know me pretty well if you can say that straight out. (laughs) Uh, But then Coke came up with Cab. And Cab and rum extract was... If I needed to That's chill out, doctor, yeah, yeah. <laughs> tab. Wow, that's now it's uh, how you dated. Yeah. He, got, he went beyond grinder. Well, tab did exist. I when know. I, was a I kid. remember tab. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now it's a diet and lime, diet Pepsi and lime, okay. and uh, and I can chill with that real well. I thought you were going to say Mr. Pib. I feel like you uh, chill pretty well. <laughs> The drugs help. Okay. <laughs> and, you know, that's part, that is part of the story. There was. We'll get into uh, pharmaceuticals later. <laughs> yeah. I had to learn to chill. Yeah. And, uh, and it's taken a lot of years. Yeah. Uh, and it was lorazepam that, uh, lorazepam that helped me learn to chill. Hmm. 
Um, yeah. You know, one of the questions you'll be asking, what are some of the stories? And uh, teaching my body to learn to do things right is, mm. Mm. Yeah. Uh, that is a lifelong quest. Yeah. Right. Cool. Yeah, that's yeah. a journey we're all on. For yeah, sure. it is. And we can all learn from each other too. So we'll we'll start with our standard first question. Imagine that you're going into a new ward, which you actually have gone into new wards or branches recently, and you're introducing yourself and as you would in beginning a talk or something like that, and go. Okay, I'm Greg Goodrich. I grew up in Southern Oregon. Hmm. Uh, I have been in the church most of my life. I was, wasn't baptized until I was nine. Uh, my father was a member. My mother was not. Grew up in Southern Oregon, poor farm kid, and we uh, you know, didn't know we were poor. Uh, all the kids that I grew up with, uh, which is something unique in today's society, I still know most of those kids that are still alive. Uh, we have a reunion every five years, and we gather from about three to five years either side of my graduation in 1965. In 66, uh, I got interviewed by a member of the state presidency down in Ashland, Oregon. I was not in a real good condition to answer the questions, but uh, after a quick period of repentance and not being able to talk my way out of going on a mission, I ended up <laughs> That surprises uh, me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I tried real hard. <laughs> Vietnam was uh, going strong then, and uh, I told my bishop, I said, "Well, it would you know would it be fair for me to go on a mission um, and have somebody you know get hurt or die in my place mm. uh, if I hadn't gone?" <sighs> this it just took the wind completely out of my sails. He says, "Greg, stop it." The Lord wants you in his army first. Then if you need to be in your nation's army, it'll work out. And that's exactly the way it worked out. Um, earned my first real paycheck at 12 years old. I think probably the greatest lesson I was never taught at home was how to quit. A lot of people mm -hmm. talk about the lessons they were taught. I just have to say that in our family, that's the one lesson you're taught from the top is, or never taught, is how to quit. I uh, went on my mission, came home, was home for less than two weeks, and headed off to BYU. Go Cougars. Pardon me? I just said go he's Cougars. Just <laughs> he's just right. I'm being so good. And he yeah. just had We're just sure on your mission. I was in Virginia, North Carolina. It was called the Central Atlantic States Mission. Mm. And it was, uh, it's now four missions. Mm -hmm. So uh, my oldest son ended up serving in part of that mission. And my nephew ended up serving in another part of the mission. So it was uh, different than it is today. It was the Deep South. And it was uh, the Bible Belt. <laughs> <laughs> it was a new language. Um, I remember one incident. We were out following up on a, I don't know how they got, I, I think the people had been in uh, Salt Lake and signed a, a, a guest book or something, and we got it. And they lived way out in the middle of nowhere. 
and we found them. They were a lovely family, but they were just moving to another state at the time. But we had a, a nice long discussion. They uh, they thought a lot about the church. They thought thought highly of it. They enjoyed their time in Salt Lake, and we kind of got directions when we left, but they didn't make sense once we got out on the, and we're really talking back roads. So after we'd wandered for about 20 minutes, we saw an old farmer and we pulled up beside and said, sir, we're headed into Raleigh. How do we get there? <laughs> well, that's, that's no problem. You just, uh, you just, uh, <laughs> take two ICs and a perfect right here down this road. And, and then you turn right, and <laughs> I, I looked at the man, and I looked at my companion, and I, I'm sorry, what did you just say? <laughs> well, two eyes and a fur piece. And what is that? <laughs> he said, well, you know, you just, as far as you can see down the road there, that's one I see. And when you get there, <laughs> the next time you can see down the road, that's two I sees. And then, then you turn right there at Smith's Barn, where, where the tree fell. <laughs> where the tree fell. <laughs> and when did the tree fall? Well, I don't know, about 20 years ago. <laughs> well, has it been bucked up and gone? Well, yeah, but the stunk's still there. Well, okay. That's great. We made it back. And it was a wonderful learning experience. In uh, part of the mission was in Virginia, and we were at a, uh, a member's greenhouse one day. She said, you wouldn't be related to Forrest Goodrich, would you? It turns out I was. He'd been in the mission and had been part of their growth in the church some oh, wow. cool. 30 plus years before. So it was apparently Goodrich's get to go out there occasionally. We've got three generations at least that have been there. Coming back from my mission uh, and going to school, I got into pilot training. And in pilot training, I I had to grow up an awful lot. I was married at the time with two kids and decided that that was a pretty fun thing to do. I had no intentions or idea of going into flying until the director, the colonel in charge of BYU's Air Force program said, you're going up to Hill, you're going to take the physical, the psychological exam, and the, uh, uh, the exams that they have for you. Let's see if you can be a pilot. I lucked out and scored in the 96th percentile. Did so, you challenge the psychological part of it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Faked my way right there. <laughs> Had a degree, was working on a degree in computer science then, uh, but psych's always been the background. So got my degree and headed off to pilot training. We showed up in Mesa, Arizona at Williams Air Force Base. About what year was this? This was in 1972. Hmm. It was the 24th of July. It was 104 degrees, <laughs> and it was midnight <laughs> when we arrived. We um, uh, had a fun year there in pilot training, and I have to say it was more intense than the five years of college I'd previously had. Uh, my first college experience was actually at the University of Vienna. Uh, I was on a German studies tour. And spent um, uh, 
spent a full semester over in Europe, uh, studying at the University of Vienna and, and oh. then traveling around. We, uh, uh, I came back, had a year at Southern Oregon College, and that's when I went uh, on my mission. So when I came back off my mission, things had changed, and it took another four years to graduate. After leaving pilot training, graduating from there, I ended up in transition schools, uh, survival schools, and then ended up in Southeast Asia. Uh, Southeast Asia was uh, an interesting turning point in my life. To this day, I am still growing from the experience. Hmm. Uh, I am learning more um, about what was going on there, about the betrayals, about things that don't mesh with uh, what Heavenly Father's plan is, to say it kindly. Mm. What stage of uh, the war turmoil was were, were, were they in when you arrived? We were wrapping things up. In mm -hmm. fact, my last month there uh, at the year date, we shut everything down, mm -hmm. and that was when things were falling apart in mm -hmm. Saigon, yeah. uh, the North Vietnamese. Uh, the treaties that were about to be signed uh, and that some of them that were signed uh, blew up when Congress stopped funding the Vietnamization mm -hmm. program. And you were flying during that whole time? Yes. Mm. I flew electronics reconnaissance over there. We would we would look for and find targets. Depending on the crew that uh, I flew with for a particular mission, we would go looking for specific targets. Mm. Uh, for instance, the Christmas of 74, uh, we switched to night missions, and mm. I got most of the night missions. I mm -hmm. uh, loved flying at night in Southeast Asia. It's a whole different <laughs> world. But um, we f located the—our assignment was to find a particular North Vietnamese general who was blowing things up in Cambodia. Mm. Um, and what we would do is when we would locate uh, the target, we would— send that information to another airborne station. They would send the info, uh, collate the information, send it to Kelly Air Force Base in Texas. Mm -hmm. They would sort through it and send out mission targets mm -hmm. to Guam. And as we were crossing the border going back into Thailand, the B-52s would be coming in feet dry, coasting in uh, oh. into somewhere in Southeast Asia. And we missed him the first night, but we got him the second. <laughs> and So were you flying AWACS at that time? or No, it was you... electronics reconnaissance. Actually, the uh, planes were uh, old EC-47s. And as soon as we were done with them, they took all of the, sent them to Clark, tore all the radios out of them. They're probably still flying today. So. <laughs> Share with me a little bit more about just what that means for those of us that maybe have no idea what those letters and numbers mean. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like how many people would be on a plane with you? At least two out of five of us here. Welcome, <laughs> Kevin Durfee, by the way, mm -hmm. who just joined us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We had we had a call-in to last episode, and now we have a pop-in. So. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. I like that. <laughs> so, yeah, what this was... get more fun. Okay. Right. Yeah. 
An EC-47 is an old C-47 from World War I. Mm-hmm. Uh, anytime you see pictures of paratroopers jumping out of airplanes, right. those are C-47s. The newest one that I flew was two years younger than me. Mm. Okay. Mission, the reason we were using them was because they were such a stable platform. Right. How um, many men could fit in in one plane or how many did you normally fl- fly with? We usually flew with uh, two pilots, a navigator, and anywhere from three to seven radio operators. The seven was very seldom because that was just too much weight. Those were the uh, heavier of the airplanes, and we only had one or two that could accommodate that much. But the radios were uh, state-of-the-art sophistication that as soon as, as soon as that war was over, they had already developed everything that you see in AWACS uh, mm-hmm. right on up to satellites. So you were just trying to triangulate the radio sort we from would, that individual. Yes. And you'd be able to get the coordinates for it. And then we had uh, guys in the back who had over 800 missions. Hmm. Uh, so you're talking, if you're talking in world war two terms, you're talking people who had been there for, you know, six to eight years minimum. And they were so good. They could tell if it was somebody operating in Morse code, they could tell by the way they, clicked who it was mm-hmm. and who they were talking for. Yeah. Uh, if it was voice, uh, they knew who the who the officers were. Uh, they knew who was sending the message. Uh, we had, uh, we located one radio operator that was up in Anger Watt, mm. uh, which has quite a history. Yeah. And one of the guys just decided in the last couple of months, well, I'm going to talk to this guy. So he started talking to him. And the guy's, oh, I got the gold GI. What do you mean you have to go? We're, we're chatting here. The war's almost over. Oh, no, man. You blow me away if I stay on radio. <laughs> find out where I am. He said, I know the part of anger. What that you're in? What, what do you mean? <laughs> I know Don't exactly where you are. Don't worry about it. That's an interesting experience to go from serving the Lord, like you said, in the Lord's army to serving the nation's army in such a short period of time. Any... How how was that experience for you to find yourself serving in Vietnam and Southeast Asia, and maybe what role, if any, did religion or your faith have in your service? Yeah, the um, the first thing that happens in combat, uh, and our mission, though at ten thousand feet, mm-hmm. was uh, it had a different kind of stressor to it, and. This is something that I didn't realize until years later. Uh, you know, some people can get hit in the face day after day, and they're fine with it. Uh, other people, the first time, mm-hmm. there's a brain injury. So somewhere mm-hmm. in that thought process, <laughs> the first two things that you lose in combat are your sense of reality. Reality mm-hmm. disappears. Uh, you are in a whole uh, different mindset, different mm-hmm. experience. Yeah. Uh, the second thing you lose is your innocence. Mm. Uh, you are, there is no, and there's no turning back from either of them. Innocence is completely gone. And as as my learning process continues to grow, 
it's it's a lifelong experience. It's yeah. not a bad one if you learn from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it has. Uh, we have over twenty veterans a day dying by suicide because they can't get back in touch with reality. Having grown up where I did, one of the things that uh, I have learned from is is that the my class reunions every five years, I had a, a, a real need for some reason to attend those reunions. Sort of anchor yourself back. It was, and it's because it was the last time I was in touch with reality. Mm. That was my age of innocence. And mm. since then, uh, don't try and fog me over with uh, your innocent chatter. You know, it's just, sorry. <laughs> well, nobody was going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. A lot of, we a love lot of people who grow up on the streets, a lot yeah. of people who have different experiences learn the sa- have to learn the same way. Uh, this is why in uh, abuse cases and so on, so many people right. come up with uh, similar things happening to them. So what role do you think that your faith played in your military service? And then afterwards as well, you've kind of said it's a it lifelong was, healing process, but what uh, role has faith played in that for you? The church, my belief in the eternal principles that we teach in the church, and the familiarity hmm. with church services, church programs, etc., has been my salvation. There, it is absolutely the only thing that remained real. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, my my and parents <laughs> and close family, <laughs> uh, even my wife at the time, had a different reality mm-hmm. when I got back in it. Um, you know, it morphed over the years, but, uh, even to this day, there's still some, some things I'm learning from it. Yeah. And so it was, uh, I like to say I got my bachelor's from Brigham Young, uh, my master's from Pacific Lutheran and my PhD from Our Lady of Perpetual Guilt. <laughs> <laughs> my trip studies, yeah. uh, it, uh, I do believe that uh, I've gotten a PhD in some very strange areas. It's been, but it's mm-hmm. been a, a marvelous learning experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, that takes me up to well in school at BYU. I did get married, had two children before I left. Um, when I came back from uh, Southeast Asia, uh, we had two more, and. Uh, about the time the youngest was 18 months, my then wife decided that she needed to go visit her family. And then she canceled and she uh, turned in the uh, tickets and forgot to come home. So, <laughs> uh, you know, that has, when you compare it to the other betrayals that I have seen in in life that was of course that was a shocker um but it uh it was the church that kept me focused and putting one foot in front of the other uh that and my uh family having never taught us how to quit what could you do keep on going well it had to be something deeper than the church because your faith obviously had been anchored 
deeply somewhere that made you fight through that. So what it's, do you think the core of that was? Yeah, as much as anything, it was the familiarity with the church. And yes, that and the, and the church's doctrines. Mm-hmm. Uh, what the Savior taught is true. Uh, what the prophets have taught is true. Uh, sometimes it's a hard pill to swallow when the prophets mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, say something. But then you see things like the proclamation. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you uh, have lived during the era when uh, blacks were given the priesthood, well, of course, we fought a war that was as much about bringing together men of different colors and different backgrounds. Yeah. and. Yeah. Some of the, I mean, prior to that, you didn't associate with people of the other colors mm. in, uh, in a lot of places in, in the world. In, uh, uh, in Oregon, it wasn't a problem because we had sundown laws and you never got to meet these people. But post, and you know, if you met a Mexican, he was probably living in a tent down the street working in the orchards around the house. In Vietnam, you there was no color. Yes, there was color. Yes, there were some differences. But when push came to shove, there was uh, like mm-hmm. one man in in one of my uh, main teams that we flew with, uh, 885 missions, I think he ended with mm-hmm. uh, a black gentleman that uh, we didn't know it. You know, I mean, it was, he was an amazing man. Yeah, fluent in, uh, I think it was seven different languages and uh, dialects in the Southeast Asia area. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, everybody counted on everybody, and it changed that a lot. So that was, you know, that was a good experience um, when I. I went through a divorce. I was very close with my leaders, and I counted on them. They were, uh, and they were great people. They were wonderful people, and they pointed me in a lot of right directions. If you understand the PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, it's not a disorder that just pops up. Mm-hmm. Um, it, mm-hmm. it can have a growth cycle of its own. It was... It's always interesting to me that uh, the whole reason it was discovered uh, was a lady who was treating women's in uh, sexual abuse cases said, well, all my Vietnam buddies that uh, are having problems, they're showing the same symptoms. And so they did some research and studies, and lo and behold, PTSD uh, finally came uh, to veterans. And uh, and other people, and it has been a program that continues to evolve. Not long after I uh, divorced, I met this sassy mouth, uh, <laughs> little Jewish girl at work. You, you know this is being recorded. Yes, I know this is being recorded. <laughs> and uh, and she met a country bumpkin. And mm-hmm. uh, somehow, uh, yeah. somehow, while we worked together, 
And I think the only reason we worked together was, well, I know it is, is so that we could get together. We started pulling pranks on each other. They were fun. <laughs> Our first date was very interesting. I took her to a place called Alice's Restaurant out of yeah. Rainier, Washington. It was dark. Um, and Alice's Restaurant is off of two dirt roads after you get through Rainier, Washington. And if you've never <laughs> heard that of area. Rainier, Washington. <laughs> I've been there. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Yep. Yes, she didn't know where you were taking yeah. her. Is that what you're saying? You're driving yeah. down a dirt road yeah, on your first day. I made a bad choice. So she's, uh, I didn't know it, but she'd pulled one of her high heels off and she had it. She was right ready. <laughs> and I pulled over to the side of the road and said, I wonder if I'm going in the right direction. Then we saw a couple of cars. Out I went and there's Alice's restaurant. And that's when she finally started to, uh, she put her shoe back on. Her shoe on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so she'd run fast. being Jewish. Uh, I think it took a full mm -hmm. bottle of wine to calm her down. Um, uh, but you know, it was a date. It was, uh, it was starting over and, uh, a friendship grew and we ended up, uh, married a few months later. Um, uh, it happened pretty quick, uh, you know, began another story mm -hmm. before we were married. Uh, we had talked at work an awful lot about the church. She kept asking me questions, uh, as a good little Jewish girl will asked a lot of questions. And one day I, after I was tired of talking, I said, what religion were you raised as? And she says, oh, I'm Jewish. I had a roommate at that time that had played mm -hmm. for the New York Yankees, and he'd kind of fallen on hard times, And but he was a comedian. Um, mm -hmm. he, he was one I think of the greatest Yankees guys. Funny, so. I, I remember <laughs> coming home and telling Les, I said, Les, got a problem. She's not a Christian. She's a Jew. I got to change my entire approach. Uh, teaching <laughs> technique. <laughs> you don't teach, and you don't teach a Jew like you teach a Christian. You have a whole new set of laws that you have to revert to. Mm -hmm. So we uh, had been, I forget where we'd been right now, but uh, on the way home, we had talked about marriage. And she had us stop at a restaurant, 13 Coins, in uh, Olympia, Washington. And I didn't want to stop. I didn't want to eat. I just wanted to be home. And we got into the restaurant. She said, okay, we're talking marriage. But I know you're getting cold feet because mm -hmm. I'm not a member of the church. So I've decided to join the church. Uh -huh. <laughs> Okay. Said, so don't you think you ought to talk to the missionaries first? She <laughs> says, Why? You've taught me everything I need to know, don't you? <laughs> said, close. Okay. <laughs> close, yeah. So we went home. I invited the missionaries over to her place. And when they left after the first discussion, they uh she looked at me and she said, You've taught me all of that. You've told me all of that. <laughs> it's, I understand it's true. She says, that's, if this is all we're going to do, uh, you know, 
So I called the missionaries and said, boys, we've got one more chance. Don't want a lightweight one. We want doctrine. And they said, oh, okay. Well, one of the missionaries, uh, when, when he left, he was from England, and when he left, he went home, and before we had been to the temple, he was a bishop uh, in England. Uh, later became a state president. The other young man, similar circumstances, a couple of years later. So these were uh, these were APs. Solid missionaries. Mm-hmm. Very solid. Uh, solid doctrinally. And they gave her the second and third uh, discussions. Oh, yeah, I remember those. Challenged her, affirmed them, set dates. And her <laughs> birthday is March 16th. And that was coming up. And she said, yes, I'm going to be baptized on my birthday. Mm. And the elder said, well, that's on a Monday. She said, and? He said, well, it's <laughs> family right. home evening. Well, perfect. And, perfect and activity. I said, because like I could activity. see what was forming in her head. Yeah. I said, and brethren, what better thing <laughs> for a war to do than att- attend a baptismal service on a family home evening? Her mother even came. Uh, her mother uh, was uh, raised Orthodox Jewish. And the first thing she said when Shelley announced to her that she was joining the LDS Church, she said, Greg, I'm so happy for her. If I was anything but a Jew, I'd be a woman. <laughs> and, I'll take that. Uh, and, and that's the kind of person she was. Um, A family had befriended them in San Diego, Hmm. and that friendship Shelley talked about to the missionaries, and her mother still remembered. So Hmm. she said there was something special about them, Hmm. and she says, this is what it is. That's cool. Um, A couple of months later, we're in uh, the—I had gone with uh, a family that I was home teaching— to see them sealed in the temple. And she had gotten off work in Seattle and came to came to the temple. And when we came out, she said, well, I was just reading in the 20th section of the Doctrine and Covenants, and it was starting to get a little heavy. I knew you were coming out, and I know <laughs> the answers you have now. So we'll set a date later tonight. Um, and on the 4th of July, we got married. Oh, I didn't know. Fourth of July. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What year was this? This is 81. 81. That was a good test married. question. Well, that's the year you got married. Pardon? Which temple? Uh, Seattle. From Bellevue. Oh, awesome. Cool. What was the date? July 4th. <laughs> July 4th, 1981. Wow, Thank you. Oh, it's definitely on the podcast. Yeah, yep. Yeah, Oakland too. That's my birthday. Man. Yeah. We're, um, so this year is uh, 43 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, That's awesome. Congrats, for sure. I've heard, uh, you know, so many stories of both you and Shelly being incredible missionaries and sharing the gospel with so many people, but I didn't know her her conversion story and how, how you, you did. Yeah, that was really great to hear. Yeah. Yeah. 
So you mentioned a couple of things about uh, the role that friendships have played in your life, mm-hmm. especially in the military. And, uh, you know, you've had lots of kind of ups and downs throughout your life. But uh, tell us a little bit about that. What what role friendship has played and friends uh, in your life and how has that kind of evolved or changed in the different uh, okay. modes of life you've had? So I haven't always had good friends. <laughs> I've had friends and, you know, I'm sorry to say I wasn't always the leader, but for the most part, uh, because of my association with the church and because everybody knew it, some of them kept me in line pretty good. Um, the girls I dated were uh, angels and you know, any young man who is that age just starting to date is hormonally challenged and brain dead, <laughs> okay? And I have to say that uh, the girls that I grew up with were absolutely the best. Uh, it was a generation where y- you still cared about things like virginity and waiting, and and it was uh, it was important. And uh, I very much appreciated it. Uh, and I, you know, I told most of the girls in, that I grew up with in, uh, in school that how much I appreciate uh, the fact that those standards were still there. Two years yeah. later, in my sister's class, they were gone. Uh, so mine is a generation of horrible transitions. Um, mm. it, it was the time, it was the season. And uh, if you look at that period of history, there's uh, we could have a, a discussion on that for yeah. uh, we could have Durf open up and have him go through uh, <laughs> chronology there that would scare most of the music of the city. Shelley has been an excellent missionary because she never she never gives up on uh, people, and she will. Uh, love them. She will badger them. She will, in true Jewish form, uh, will never stop asking them questions Mm -hmm. and never stop asking them, you know, why not? And I would say that she is a good friend, you know, that she she does that because of where her heart is. right? Right. Yeah. And and she knows that if you make the transition from Judaism to Mormonism or to the LDS church, it's not that big a transition. One of the first things we discussed was, look, we're actually same family, same uh, MOT, member of the same tribe. You guys quit (laughs) believing in real prophets. We're living with them today. There's the difference. And we've added some things since Christ came. Mm -hmm. And she's, well, that makes sense. Right. (laughs) And she's especially good at sisters who have fallen away from the church. Uh, She works magic with them. Yeah. She's incredible. We were both really embedded in the gospel, and it seems to be, you know, high priority has been ever since I've been in your life. And inf- influencing others and helping people has been a big issue for you. It, it seems to be a love that you have for your, your brothers and sisters in your ward. I know that. And then outside of that, I know Kurt's been blessed because of your relationship with him. Yeah. Hi. Good guy. Um, yeah. Another thing that especially my father taught 
I can't say especially. They both taught. If you see a need, take care of it mm-hmm. if you can. Mm-hmm. Uh, my father was not, he didn't have the tools to be a good home teacher. But if he was assigned to somebody, they never had to worry about anything, any kinds of problems or anything. I've been on so many wood projects. Uh, <laughs> we, you know, we burned a lot of wood, but we cut probably uh, two to four times that amount. Yeah. Uh, he was he was just that kind of man. As you look at the question on friendships, uh, especially in this last uh, fifteen years which is an odyssey that, uh, with a block of its own time to me, uh, I have to mm-hmm. say that my friends, I've cleaned up the roster. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't associate. You, you have to do sometimes. Uh, a lot of it was because I was refereeing soccer. A lot of it was because of the work that I had uh, and those types of things. But I have found that your friends, in spite of you, will uh, help you improve or uh, devolve into a lesser person. Two of the guys that I golf with regularly now, uh, three of you. I was going to say. Yeah, hello. Uh (laughs) Well, one of them just popped up, so uh, (laughs) just came in uninvited. No, he was invited. Well, so you're still employed. Yeah, yeah, that's true, yeah. (laughs) But the, uh, you know, the tech, the constant texts, they're hilarious. The BBBs, um, we can't say what that is over the air because, but the— But if you want to message me to ask— You're going to have to. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to have to explain that if you you brought it up. Well, (laughs) we should let the master of ceremonies on that particular subject address Mm, that. The bare bottom boy, yep. (laughs) (laughs) That's you. Oh, me that yeah, you yeah, yeah. Move the mic so over for a time. Up at <laughs> once upon a time, <laughs> heavenly place of Tokati. There were four of us up there golfing, and Bruce Jones was. You all remember Bruce Jones was yeah. addressing the ball, ready to hit, and we were giving him a bad time, like we always do, <laughs> unmerciful. And he turned around and said, you guys be quiet or I'm going to have to spank your bare bottoms. And we all just stood, <laughs> we stood and our mouths went open like, what did you just say? And he like, what did I just say? <laughs> so we began to call ourselves the bare bottom boys. So that's the BBBs. I was really hoping Very that good. he would turn back around and you all would have your bare <laughs> bottoms ready. Yeah. Well, the problem is Kevin goes there. <laughs> I've been one time per round. It was like, turn around. Yep. What is Kevin doing? Don't believe it. Anybody's <laughs> on there, don't believe it. <laughs> yeah, well, There's no evidence, no proof. No evidence. There, there are every no photos. We, yeah, I don't think. Every year we have this fantastic golf odyssey over on the other side of the mountain. <laughs> And Reed was sleeping out on the deck one night, one of the first times I was there. And (laughs) in the middle of the night, he hears the door slide open. uh, And the next thing he hears is a big splash. And Durf does not sleep at night. And he was out in the hot tub. Well, he couldn't find his swim trunks. I didn't look. (laughs) <laughs> he didn't look. <laughs> and unfortunately, and, I did. <laughs> and 
Reed woke up. Okay. <laughs> and that's what that has, that's a story yeah. that's evolved into the other part of the BBBs, but <laughs> let's just put it this way. I don't yeah. want to go camping with Kevin ever. <laughs> You're still scarred from it. Well, ever since uh, your episode, <laughs> Kevin, I think everybody's kind of wondered how you make that transition to the hot tub and <laughs> back and forth to your bed. Every that is night. true. So, that made it into your episode. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I sleep indoors now and upstairs. <laughs> and you never well, we got a lot rooms. more room. In the, you talk about yeah. PTSD. Uh, oh, I had a towel. That's true. Until I got in. Actually, this, this is a good conversation, though, guys, because if you really read in the news the last five years or so, really since yeah. COVID, especially... You know, people have health officials have actually said we have an epidemic of loneliness. And one of the most searched terms in Google is how to make friends. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the things that we've been bringing up are actually kind of interesting. I think we've discussed a lot of what makes a good friend and, and the influence that good friends can have on us. I think that a lot of people, especially youth that maybe listen to this podcast, but I think adults too, honestly, adults, we struggle with this stuff is how do you make friends? And I, I think something you mentioned that was really helpful, Greg, too, is like just showing up as a home teacher, as a friend. I think that it seems like a small gesture to go out and help somebody, you know, for example, after the ice storm, clearing out branches and stuff like that. But it's not just the labor that you put in. It's really the signal to that person, like, you mattered enough for me to show up and do this. Exactly. Like, the friendship was the important part all along to me. I just wondered for the group here, if you've learned other tips or hacks that's that's helped you to find and make good friends. And I could talk a little bit more on the subject, too, but I wanted to have a, a bit of a group discussion on that. I Absolutely. The uh, you've nailed the basic premise, you know, shut up and get over yourself. Who was it? Elizabeth Taylor said, uh, <laughs> okay, girls. Uh, she said, okay, girls, uh, enough of this whining, put on your lipstick and get out of here. Okay. Uh, I no, don't no, recommend that any of the guys do this, but, you know, put on your you lipstick, just Reed. have to shut up um, Get over yourself, and uh, you want to make friends, be a friend. It's as simple as that. Uh, Jeff, you talked about uh, me be, be, being kind of protective. Uh, you know, you when you were called as bishop, I got to be your—you're uh, the only—of the five bishops, <laughs> you're the only one that I went the full five years with. Well, we only got four um, and a half three, years. We got three, kind of yeah. robbed a little bit. <laughs> yeah, something happened. <laughs> well, but I was still receiving yeah. phone calls. Six months <laughs> yeah. That's true. And answering their questions. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was a very special time for me, uh, protecting you via the ten thousand phone calls that I got, <laughs> knowing that you probably had another ten thousand coming. Uh, in on your direct line, scheduling people, uh, not for that moment, but later on. And I learned to appreciate you and your family just by doing things that we never even talked about. Mm -hmm. um, I, I might mention that when Jeff was bishop, um, Greg was his executive secretary. Yeah. And that's why he's that the in that position. Yes. And I found myself treating you 
more as a friend than as a kind of a job. Yeah, absolutely. It was, and and that carries over. Uh, let people see that, right. mm. you know, if, yeah. you know, and if you're feeling down, uh, you know, at some time you're going to have to talk to somebody about it. If you're a friend first, you're going to find yourself talking to other people and saying, well, when this happens to me, I do this. Right. Well, uh, I think that you're absolutely right. In some instances, I think we can all think of people that we've served in the church with or even gone mm -hmm. on service projects with or we've served with at like young men's camp or and then you develop these relationships because you've had some of those experiences together. I think one thing that I've learned is that you have to schedule time for friendships, yep, right? I think I look at, you know, just even the last decade for myself as my kids have been teenagers and really involved in things. I've had, you know, some fairly demanding responsibilities in church or in my work. And uh, you can get lost in all of those things. But I think it's important to make time for for friends and for friendship. And I'm not saying I, I do a very good job of that, <laughs> but I do think it's important. I think it's okay to take that time uh, to, to do that. I, I, I mentioned in one of the yeah. podcasts I just listened to today, uh, Jordan's wife, and she was talking about, you know, make sure you do that. If mm -hmm. you say, hey, you and we need to do something together, get to do it. Let's get together. Actually do, do it. That because I think that's that's where we've had a group of the golfers that we do have this special trip that we make. But what we did in that is we all committed to that and we all learned so much about each other mm -hmm. in the process. Because I don't know, <laughs> I don't know if Greg and I would have been friends had we yeah. not been golfing together and being forced into groups at that you know not forced but i mean we're assigned and we play with each other hey you guys it. yeah i was forced into you were forced <laughs> 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 kidnapped me spend yeah. that time, time together that just, you never would have trying to see who has to take you <laughs> <laughs> it's a short straw uh, but we take those time and we have that relationship and we listen and we realize you know this is totally different i don't know this person at all but i'm learning more about him and i really like that we have the unity of the gospel we have the priesthood we have a athletic endeavor we enjoy and i i guarantee you there are people i've gone golfing with before that i will never golf with again <laughs> because of I was wondering okay. why you never called me back. <laughs> Just, <laughs> no, I talked to your secretary. But you know, you you find that out really quick. Is this a person that I could have a relationship with? And then you yeah. realize I'm so glad I did because you add to that individual's life. You add to my life. And that's I think why we're here is because you've you have a perspective and experiences in this world that I've never had. That when I hear about him and uh, relate him to the gospel and to my life, I realize that that uh, you have had you've gone through things. You put in here that you're you, what do you put? You're a survivor, survivor, and I don't I disagree with that. I think you're a thriver. I think you've survived many things and, and gone through mm -hmm. that. But I just see that the struggles that we have in this life when you're surrounded with the right people. Um, exactly, and you know, I'll. Let me give interject uh, an example here. I mentioned the twenty two a day that we're losing. Mm -hmm. um, this is a horrible statistic. When you were first called as bishop, 
I don't you know, know if you remember that trip over the mountain. I got in maybe two words. Read how you doing. How's it going, Bishop? Mm-hmm. And he talked for two solid <laughs> hours. At a, he was going faster than I was. I inhaled twice. I, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. And and then just before we got there, he collapses asleep, you know? <laughs> um, but just the fact that he talked about what he was talking right. about had to be cathartic to him because I finally saw him relax. Mm-hmm. Okay, as much as Reed ever relaxes, he relaxed. At that particular time, there was a... Um, I had a real crash going on. In my veterans group, we check in with an overall score of 1 to 10, uh, anger, anxiety, depression, and pain. Hmm. And if uh, and the depression comes in waves, and sometimes it comes clear out of the blue. It had for me at that particular time. But listening to Reed, I thought, uh, and I didn't even have to think about it. All of a sudden, my my burden was gone, mm-hmm. um, and friends just in sharing. If you're just sharing with somebody, just chatting with them, mm-hmm. uh, and you're talking positively, it's it's a moving experience for anybody who's listening. Uh, and that time lifted me out of a very grand funk until we started playing golf. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Jason, and that is good. That's yeah. a funk. There's no return. For <laughs> no, no return. <laughs> Jason and I were just talking about this a little bit the other day. We went on some visits with some of his ward members, and we were talking with one of the young men in his ward. And um, I think one thing that I think is important that we're hearing from some of our general authorities now, at least in some of the trainings I've been in, is just that importance of of male friendships, of men being vulnerable, of talking about spiritual things, of talking about about you know sensitive things or you know just opening up to each other a little bit more and i think yeah communicating <laughs> talking <laughs> right <laughs> and uh I, I just think it's important i think that it, not only is it valuable but like you said kind of harkening back to the um you know the epidemic of loneliness or this horrible statistic about our veterans and losing 20 of them to suicide each day um, that, you know, if, if we can open ourselves up, if we can also be on the lookout for each other and, uh, you know, taking care of each other, I think it's really important. I, I think so. Totally. And I think there will, we will see a movement of that. Actually, I, I think that the current time we're in is demanding that of us as men to be able to open up to each other, to get that support. And I think some of it comes <laughs> down to like what you were saying, Jeff, and, and the rest of this group is, we have to say yes sometimes. We we can't just sit in a group and say, hey, we should get together and never make that follow-up <laughs> phone call. We need to get out there in the elements with other men. We need to open up our heart to things that we care about. And in those settings, we're going to naturally talk about deeper things sometimes. I mean, I know we do it on our golf trips. Yeah. Yeah. It's not all superficial chat. We, we talk about the important stuff. Actually, yeah. that's really important thing. And like you said, with the, some of the discussions we've had on those golf trips have been so deep, so spiritual. I mean, we've had some real 
Oh, yeah. Kind of come to Jesus moments there. That we Every had night to talk, there. Yeah. talk about things that were. We talk about wearing clothes and. <laughs> <laughs> that too. But, it, but it's powerful. That's so some I, real we, conversations. I come home from those trips feeling truly uplifted. Which when anybody would take a photo or see the photo of this group and go, whoa, who are these knuckleheads? Well, Kevin, especially at um, Crooked River Day. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. yeah. Well, There's that, so that, many like hidden stories there. So that takes us to the, the colored shirt. What did you put down here? What color was that? It's well, a, yeah, all right. a optic yellow. I think we blinded people. That was our goal that one time is we had these... Bright you shirt. can see these shirts in a dark, dark room <laughs> yeah. and ruin your uh, optics forever. All right. Ke Kevin just wrote on this paper over here. He said he wrote down, we're lucky. And I think that's true. But I also think that you've been intentional about it, right? Like, <laughs> it's not just luck, but it is that that action. And, and you know, I mean, you're lucky to be in the same environment and, you know, have the connection that you have. And that's absolutely true. But that, you've also all made the choice to take time for each other, to listen to each other, to be present in each other's lives. And, you know, that takes some intention and some purpose. I yep. remember from my youth, we used to have ward projects. Mm -hmm. all the time. And I still, I cannot name all of the men that uh, were in one of the ward projects we had, but I remember uh, my dad and his association with them. And I remember because I was one of the, if not the only young man there, how they treated me. Mm. And I think, you know, this was a time where men weren't open. Yeah. Uh, a lot, but the bonami between all of them uh, had the same effect. And in today's culture, absolutely one of the worst places men can be vulnerable is to those whom they love the most, especially women, because women, unfortunately, in our society have been taught that men being vulnerable is a weakness. And uh, they will attack it. As women in the church are taught differently, and that's one of the good things you find in the church, but it does not get away from the fact that men need to be around men. Boys need to be raised by men. They need to be smacked around. They need to... <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, they need the physical side of it. You know, Jordan Peterson talks a lot yeah. about that. You know, that. That's one of the components that's missing is that men having to be around, need to be around each other to be able to grow and, and become truly better men mm -hmm. is that they need to have that example and understand that there's those times of weakness and strength and that we go through that and that uh, we'll grow from each other in that process, not you know, like you said, not call somebody a sissy because they, you know. Whatever. Well, well, I think, too, you're just calling to something that's very natural and part of who we are. I, 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 I think that there's something very true and real and special about being a boy, right? I, I just look at, you know, I, I was just with Stetson, my counselor, and we were looking at his boys wrestling in the front row. And I was like, those are two boys right there. That's awesome. You know, <laughs> and, and it's just there is something about that. And and as a boy, we seek the approval of first our father and then of other men. And I, I think that there's something incredibly important about being validated with other good men 
and 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 we we need that. Yeah, even when you're 70 years old, you still yeah. need that. You know, exactly. Because, well, speak for yourself. Some of us are real far from 70. Well, yeah, we're still. <laughs> Jason just hit 40. Just hit. Oh, <laughs> crossing into that bracket, man. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah, right. it's it's uh, vital for us. And I think you know, and it's somehow, as Kevin said, he wrote that we're lucky we're not. We are truly blessed to be able to have the gospel with us to teach yeah. us that that's been consistent throughout. It yeah. really has throughout the doctrine and principles of the gospel. That's there, but society, which yeah. is rampant with mistakes, mm-hmm. you know, that's we we have to realize that and step away from that and say, let's do what works. Let's do what's right. proven itself for eons now, and and go back to that because when we do. It clears things. I mean, let's talk about that. You you talk a lot also about PTSD and the psychological effects of war and and those things and life and too, divorce. Everybody gets one mm-hmm. way or another. Is that do you feel that the gospel has been the source of healing and your relationship with the Savior? How does that play into the the great progress you've made? <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Sorry, not, not a that you are making. making. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you look at uh, the basic 12-step program of Alcoholics Anonymous, mm-hmm. it starts with the serenity prayer. And, you know, for people who are looking, the entire serenity prayer, the whole thing, not just uh, the first couple of lines, uh, needs to be read. In the first, I think it's nine steps, God or a supreme being or a higher power is mentioned. You can't recover from anything if you do not surrender to a higher power. I chose whether, no matter how it happened, I chose right. I chose to thank my Savior for the opportunity to heal. Um, I don't, you know, the wounds, the the problem, that's an opportunity. I don't think at the pearly gates we're going to be asked if we were good boys, because we weren't, okay? We were boys, all right? Uh, But we're going to be asked, what'd you learn? How'd you learn it? What What did you pass on? Whom did you influence with this? Who influenced you? We've got a little book of life over here that we're going to mark their name down too. And as the challenge to me is not where am I, uh, but what am I learning? So one of the questions, um, what are you learning now? Mm -hmm. You know, um, I think, what a wonderful question. And I think it's a question that sometimes before interviews, a little soul searching there wouldn't be a bad idea. And thank you so much. And I love that discussion about friendship. And I wanted to turn some time over to Durf, who who stopped by mid show. By the way, thank you for coming, Durf. <laughs> mm-hmm. I just I wanted to go back to the before we move on here. Like you, you just wrote down about friendship. Like we're lucky. I just wanted to know more your thoughts there. Well, I think. I think we're lucky for a lot of reasons. We're blessed, like Reed said. We're blessed with families. We're blessed with a, a, a church family. 
Um, we were discussing at the time friendships with, with peers. And in that way is when I was thinking that at our age, because we're not boys anymore, but we still are, <laughs> uh, we can't play football or basketball or do those kinds of things where we roughhoused, but we can play golf and we still trash talk even more than we used to <laughs> <laughs> with the other stuff. And, and we just have a camaraderie and in our lives, um, it balances everything else. And because of that, we are lucky, I think, to have that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The friendship is important. It's healthy and especially healthy friendships. You know, we talk about in our little trip each, each year, but we don't talk about two or three times or two times, at least maybe once a week that we head up to Tokati also during the year. But when we go up to our little odyssey, it is interesting because there are eight grown men there. Most people, grandpas, uh, Bishop Keister's not, he's, he's a daddy. Nope. But, Hopefully not a grandpa. But, that would uh, be new information. <laughs> but, 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 yeah. um, and even a great grandfather. And a great grandpa. <laughs> and at that time, it's interesting because we do have gospel discussions. We get ready to go golf each morning. And before we open the door to go out and golf, we just say, okay, who's going to say the prayer for the day? I mean, that's a unique thing in this day and age. And it's a wonderful thing. So, so blessed and lucky um, to have that part of our lives be balanced because I think that's an important part. It's healthy. I think, yeah, it's healthy. I think that part balances our life. That's where the balance yeah, comes absolutely. from. That having that is, it's probably one of the more, more, not most of my life. I wonder about that. If I, <laughs> but one of the more important things is to be able to have, uh, we'll intergenerational relationships. Jason's 40 years old. Greg's 74. Are we there? Six. Se 76. 77. Odyssey. And what's oh, so awesome. cool is you get different perspectives and those yeah. perspectives are mm -hmm. so helpful because I, I remember when I, well, almost, I almost remember when I was 40. It's so long ago. It's a long time but ago. To have Jason you. talking about the issues that come up in his life as a mission, <laughs> as a dad, as a husband, and as a, a, a worker doctor and the things that go on it just re really makes you look at your life and and uh see as kevin said a lot of the blessings that have happened and the things that have happened the luck you've had of being in a certain place at a certain time having an opportunity to experience his life and your life and your life and just realize that this is the most wonderful mm. school that you're in and I, mm. you know, I can, I can just say, I would do this all over again, you know, it's life because it's, mm. it's, it's a huge blessing. It's going to serve me so well when we get to the other <laughs> side, mm -hmm. I hope it doesn't come too soon, uh -huh. but you know, but that's, that's a power of it. And I, yes. and I, you know, yep. like Jason, you were saying is if people could, uh, start to create these relationships. And I heard the, the girls talking about that in the last mm -hmm. podcast saying, we got to make those calls. We have to have those friendships. Absolutely. Yep. You know, my wife buys me new golf clubs. She wants me to hang out with you guys. That's weird, right? No, she, she gets it. She mm -hmm. understands that that's going to help me. Right. And if it helps me, it's going to help her. Yeah. I think oftentimes we think anytime that we're, you know, especially for those of us that are still working full time and might have, you know, callings that take us away from home quite a bit. 
sometimes it's hard to think about sacrificing a night a week or something like that to go and just hang out with your buddies. But I think it's going to make you a better father. It's going to make you a better husband mm-hmm. because that other part of your life is also being fulfilled. And um, it's hard to do sometimes when you're in the thick of everything. It is. But, I remember when, when we were young, for us, it wasn't um, like it is now. We yeah. had children at home. We had jobs. So what we did is we would go up to McKinsey, which was 10 minutes up the river, Yeah, meet at 7 a.m., Mm-hmm. Reed was already five, out with we his were guys five thirty. <laughs> and we would just go nine holes. And so by eight thirty or nine, we were home for the rest of the day Saturday, and that was all we did for the whole right. week with a big grin on. We our were face. home at the same time. The kids were waking up. <laughs> Wives were happy. Yeah. We got our little. Um, yeah. Yeah. But as we've aged, got to figure it out more yeah. time. So. Yeah. But yeah, that's kind of what we did. But but you also established those friendships and relationships earlier, yeah. right? Which yeah. I think is important. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Uh, it's very much. Uh, a part of our service, uh, we serve ourselves to make ourselves better. And it, it's not selfish. Mm-hmm. It is, yeah. uh, we don't have the work together, the physical work together projects that we used to. And we need to associate with men from the church and bring others into that society with us. But we've got to be, uh, you know, we have to have our strength there. Yeah, we get done with golf or skiing or something like that. And I just, I am so chill at the end. (laughs) It's hard to stay awake. Durfee can't stay awake. He very seldom drives back. <laughs> uh, I'm awake in the middle of the night, though. So. <laughs> That's right. That's true. You make sense for it. Over yeah. you in your sleeping bag. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of, you know, I've appreciated our time together when we do go golfing. Um, and, and you just get something from each person. I, I think from you, Greg, one thing that you've taught me in your life experience is you have learned to slow down and appreciate things, too. Is and, and one thing, the last time you and I were golfing, actually, I think we were in Central Oregon. I, I believe we were at Crooked River Ranch Golf Course that we were talking about. And you said one thing that helps you is you will just, in a setting like that, you'll you'll just slow down you'll appreciate the beauty around you and it it helps you with a lot of different things that you've dealt with in your life it to just sit back and notice it brings you calm um and i i just appreciate that lesson from you um among other things that you've taught me well thank you i heavenly father has blessed us with a world that is if you start looking at the beauty of the world uh you cannot deny uh that there is a creator. What I mean, we were what we stopped twenty times the other day, just to let the sun uh, on our backs or our faces. Uh, I thought you were going to say effect. to go to the bathroom or something. <laughs> <laughs> that would be me. <laughs> yep. Glad <laughs> him. <laughs> we don't talk about those. Things. <laughs> <laughs> He's glad as that did. Right. <laughs> Mine's that big. <laughs> but. It's true. The when the old saying, sometimes you just have to stop and smell the roses. Why? Because it really smells good, and your body needs it. You know this. If your body's happy, your mind is happier. And what things can you do to make yourself truly happy? Um, and we, our odysseys are at some of the most beautiful places on earth. 
the smells, the sights, uh, the feel. Yeah, we're up at Blue River today, and you could smell the golf course. Well, that's what you said. That's what I, I, I said you should have a T-shirt that says, it smells like token tea. Yeah. <laughs> that's why they can't yeah. send me but, there. Yeah. yeah. It's like Nick Lyons, a, a big fly fisherman, says, I love the environs where fish are found. And that's kind of how I feel also, is that out in the door, outdoors, in the peace yeah. and quiet at a golf course. I mean, I can't think of many places that are more serene than being on a river or being on a golf course. And that's, it depends on how your game is going and who you're golfing with. (laughs) (laughs) But, but right. The, the environment for tranquility is there. Yeah. And that helps. And that, of course, we're nutty. I mean, whether Jason's playing ACDC on his, Oh, that's true. His, yeah. <laughs> and we're trying to make psych Steve, Steve Jones' head explode on him. He wants Johnny Cash. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm Credence and Willie, and he's. We work in Credence. Yeah. We <laughs> do. But, uh, but yeah, I, I think there's funny. even a good point, though. Like, you could be at a golf course and focused on, oh, man, I suck today, or I just don't have it. Or you could say like i'm in a beautiful area with people that i care about that's pretty stinking awesome and i and, bet god's pretty happy about that and you don't have to think that you suck if you do we will tell you oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for sure i already got people for that yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man um jeff what else did you, you want know, to get and, into and you have to know right. that when we correct each other yeah. uh when we mm. tell somebody that their swing is so ugly yeah. that we've got to change something um it's done with love yep yep it is done with <laughs> love start putting pills in your coke you know, you know, <laughs> <laughs> one one area of your life that we haven't talked too much about is uh skiing and your time on the mountain so mm. uh, we have talked about uh, the golf course and other places that you've uh kind of find peace uh tell us about uh just what the mountain means to you in your life god only creates a few perfect days and he calls them ski days. Um, we call them pow days as snowboarders. <laughs> and to me, being on the mountain, there's there's two aspects of it. There is the teaching aspect and there is the free skiing aspect. Uh, the free skiing to me is, I love to ski for free and free ski, uh, meaning that I don't like to pay for skiing and I love to just go and ski. So I teach occasionally uh, so that I can ski for free mm-hmm. and free ski. Uh, the two aspects of skiing, one is the teaching, introducing somebody to something that I love. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is therapy for me uh, to be on the mountain, that cold, crisp air, uh, it's probably better than any diet lime I've ever tasted, <laughs> um, to, uh, suck up the sunlight, uh, to see the beauty of the white and its background in the trees and to suck in just pure oxygen, freshly cleaned and coming at you at, uh, the the speed of light it just <laughs> you can't get it yeah i can't get enough of it and what i find is is that every mountain that you go to every run that you're on has a rhythm mm. uh it has uh, a beauty to it that if you can match 
uh, your physical to the music that you'll dance with the mountain. Mm. Uh, I love to dance uh, the mountains. If it's powder, that's Beautiful. great. If it's speed, mm. I, you know, I have a hunger for speed. The <laughs> I will freely admit I am an adrenaline junkie. Adrenaline cowbell. I've seen him on the mountain a couple times. I can attest. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've, I've tumbled at that speed. I've watched him go <laughs> right. by. I am turning 77 yeah. later this year, and I keep telling myself that I'm not going to go as fast. Yeah, but right. at 235 pounds of quivering passion on <laughs> fast skis, it just happened. See, I thought you were supposed to go your age in miles per hour. Is that not true? Remember your, prof your prophet, 100 years old, and they just got him off the mountain, what, five just years ago? a couple ago? years ago, yeah. And he, he, didn't, he didn't go easily off the mountain. He loves it, understands exactly what That's you're talking about. Down. Yep. Uh, and there is a, a calmingness to being in that, in, again, in that environment. Mm -hmm. that uh, is very special. And then they're seeing people that you've taught, whether it's in uh, the small business colleges uh, or junior colleges that I've taught in, or whether it's on the mountain or swimming, soccer, whatever it may be, to have those people come back and say, thank you because of your philosophy, because you taught us to dance, uh, mm. Here's my family here. Yeah, sharing a passion. Oh, that's yeah. cool. Sharing a passion yeah, with cool. someone and having them pick it up and go is a treat. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I express that same philosophy uh, to most all of my students. And I've got two little girlfriends, five and nine, that uh, their parents bring them to me because that's part of their life now is skiing yeah and it uh and i get to ski with them mm -hmm. so what's interesting about all of these experiences i think that you've shared is just that like the human connection mm -hmm. like being outdoors in nature like amongst god's creations there's just some themes that are Common there that right? like really resonate with me and i think you know, just being away from so many of the distractions of the world, getting away from the noise of the world around us and really focusing on on good relationships with good people that make you a better person and, you know, enjoying this incredible world that God's created for us that uh, help us to feel of his love and, and his presence in our lives. So thank you for sharing those. If yeah. God loves us so much that he would let us be here, mm -hmm. Uh, what choice do we have but to share that? Yeah, cool. Awesome. I love that. I actually, on the, the, the topic of common, our common thread of friendship, connection, you also recently had an honor flight that I'd, I'd like to talk about a bit, if yeah. you could share that story. A lot of us, as, as your friends, we actually wrote letters, too, for that honor flight that hopefully you received them. <laughs> but Yes, I did. Um, I thought I'd thanked everybody for that. Yeah. Uh, I think you did, yeah. But the uh, yeah, what honor flight is is there are associations. Uh, we're blessed with the South Willamette Valley Honor Flight Society, and 
it's a huge endeavor, and they take veterans. They've run out of World War II veterans. <laughs> there are, we have there's not very many left, right? No, there's not. They're in their late nineties if yeah. they're still left. Um, the Korean veterans are almost done, and we're losing Vietnam veterans pretty fast. We're all in our seventies plus. But Honor Flight takes us back to Washington D.C. and allows us to uh, tour D.C in a way that is refreshing. We get to go to different memorials, the World War II, the Korea, the uh, Vietnam memorials, um, to go to museums, the Air and Space Museum, mm -hmm. uh, the Lincoln Memorial. Uh, been there before. It is, uh, I can't go there without being moved. Yeah, that's incredible. Uh, Arlington mm -hmm. Cemetery, the changing mm -hmm. of the guard. Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. Pardon? Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, right? Yep. Yeah. And it, uh, the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier and that whole experience, uh, I could not not be emotional. Mm. Um, well, well you, knowing who that represents and maybe that they were some of your fellow brothers. Yes. And it's not just one person there. Mm -hmm. They're, yeah. Yeah. Uh, they have put other people there, and they are unknowns, but they're known to us. Yeah. It's like the uh, Medal of Honor winners. I've never met a more humble group of people, yeah. uh, never uh, listened to more of their podcasts, their testimonies, whatever, their talks, whatever. None of them uh, accept it for themselves. Uh, Bernie Fisher was uh, an Air Force Medal of Honor winner from Idaho. I heard him several times and never once uh, did he talk about himself. Mm -hmm. uh, he said, I represent at least 10,000 others whose sacrifice was more. Yeah. Well, I want you to know that you are our example and hero in many ways because of what you've done and how you've lived your life and what you've gone through for us. We appreciate that so much. Absolutely. It's, yep. it's uh, important for us to have that relationship with you because of those it, things also. It does add to the perspective of life. Mm -hmm. And if we listen to others and their perspectives, I didn't understand World War II until uh, truly until later in life when, uh, you know, you go back and you study the histories, you study some of the generals, some of the battles, uh, some of those things. Go back to the Civil War. You know, even Lewis and Clark and their expeditions and so on, there's so much to be learned to help us put into things mm. into perspective. Mm. And that history mm. has made... Um, some of the vicious things that I found out about my particular war, uh, it's made it meaningful. Mm -hmm. uh, the war was uh, a series of corruptions that beleaguered our nation and set us up for uh, Satan's wrath. And the things we learn in the temple, that, you know, it's exactly uh, what he's talking about. On the other hand, 
it's helped us to understand that we do have a duty no matter what. Uh, and that uh, the forgiveness of the Savior, okay, we may have been involved in something. Uh, it wasn't a bank heist, but it was uh, because there it was bloody. It was worse than a bank heist, but we did our duty. It was worthwhile because now we can associate with, as men with other men. Mm-hmm. And uh, yes, we can associate as veterans with other veterans. What was amazing was was on the honor flight, we had branches of every service. We had one little Korean nurse there mm-hmm. who received honors and accolades that you can't imagine while we were on the trip. Sweetest lady there ever was. She had been a uh, a nurse, an army nurse. And she was amazing. A lot of Vietnam veterans and a lot of Cold War veterans. There was not one argument that I heard. Mm. And we met uh, honor flights from other places. And for the Vietnam veterans, for the first time in 50 years, all we heard any place we went was welcome home. Mm. Mm, cool. Uh, uh, you know, even at Arlington, Arlington and the changing of the guard, the things that happened there, we honestly felt like we had come home. Finally, uh, after this many years, yeah. right? Well, yeah. because they were treated. When they first came back, of course, anything but that. Yeah. You yeah. know, I was called a baby killer just last year, okay, mm-hmm. uh, in reference to that. Oh, you're one of those baby killers, huh? You know, sometimes the wrong people do die in war. And if you look at today, yeah, there are those of us who feel that some people just need a good killing. But that's not the Lord's way. And uh, when you start putting the Lord's way in with everything else, yeah, the Lord lets wars happen. Uh, That's sometimes how he gets people to their knees. Mm Mm-hmm. Wouldn't it be better if we went to our knees before that happened? Or <laughs> exactly. Wouldn't it you know, change the world? Um, yeah. I, thank I, you for sharing that. Yeah, thank you. I, I see a lot of check marks next to things we wanted to discuss. I, I don't have any further questions before we get to the last one we do every time. Uh, do you guys have anything else you wanted to get into? No, I don't think so. No. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for yeah. one thing. Yeah, yeah. go ahead. Um, you, one of the questions was, was, what are you working on now? Uh, Victor Frankl's Man's mm-hmm. Search for Meaning. Yeah. Oh, this is the second time we've had this book recommended. I I need to read it now. <laughs> okay. Um, if you look at my copy now, we're going through it. The comparison. I like uh, all the dog-eared pages and the. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I, I've read it before. But it was at a different time, time of life. your life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I read the Iliad and the Odyssey several times, but the last time I read it was the most profound because uh, whoever the English author was that translated it had the perfect pentameter. Or maybe I'd just grown up. <laughs> it was the message <laughs> okay. you needed to hear that. Right. Yeah. Which yeah. Now I have something. That's now fun. I have something right. to compare this to, uh, yep. because I'm working 
on working on certain aspects of my life that this this has so much meaning for, uh, so much more. Here's a man who was in the worst of circumstances, and what does he constantly point to? The spiritual. Yeah. He constantly mm-hmm. points to, uh, you know, not giving up, mm-hmm. finding something. They're talking about uh, the day that uh, it's at sunset. They're going in for their uh, watery soup, and uh, or what they call cup of soup, and. Uh, a little piece of bread, and because they were admiring the sunset, they missed their food. Another group of men, this was like eight men, another group of uh, nine men, I said, oh, if you stay here, you're going to miss dinner. They went in. Those nine died. These eight didn't. Made it through. So it's the appreciation of the things around you Mm. uh, and sharing that uh, with others. Uh, I can't say it enough. Uh, Victor Frankl uh, means more now than he ever did. Mm-hmm. And That's his good. gospel principles, mm-hmm. how they align, yeah. uh, fascinating. I think it, it's cool because it, it's an analogy I've used on the show before, but as we get older and have life experience that we bring to the table, it it's like... We had a hardware upgrade, and now we interpret the software differently, <laughs> you know, which is pretty cool. That's yeah. good. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Well, I'd, we'll we'll finish with our last question, and thank you again for coming on the show. I'm going to modify a little bit from how we usually ask it. I'd, I'd like you to think about what is your relationship with the Savior like right now and share that with us. I have a love and appreciation for the Savior, and... It grows daily sometimes, recognizing the sacrifice that he's made. But the beautiful part of the plan that it is, we get to come here and with this mortal veil, we get to screw up, (laughs) okay? Uh, Sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. But the plan is so perfect that we have the ability to change, uh, to become, uh, even in the smallest part, Christ-like. Everything that we've talked about here tonight, this afternoon, is what are we doing to become more Christ-like? We are associating with real men. We are being friends to those who are not nice people sometimes uh, (laughs) and not easy to be friends with. We all have people in our lives. We all know people who uh, it's tough to be around sometimes. Uh, You guys in your uh, bishop's callings, you got to face some of the Okay, some of the weirdest situations, <laughs> you know, going. Let's have a good summary. Yep. Oh, that's and a good summary. Were, yeah. you know, how prepared were you for it? Yep. Okay, but uh, in my own life, uh, repentance and being able to feel God, first of all, being able to feel and recognize and feel godly sorrow. I'm not happy I screwed up. 
in life, hmm. but I'm happy I screwed up and was able to learn the lesson. Yeah. Um, to be able to forgive yourself and to know that Heavenly Father has forgiven you and that the price that was paid for that is paid in full. And the silly little things we have to do to partake of that forgiveness are, why not, as much as anything? And yes, uh, I am grateful every moment of my life for the for the testimony I have, for the understanding I have, and for the experiences I've had and that I continue to have. Is it always easy? No. But it is now a pattern of life. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, I don't know how to quit. It is not in my lexicon. And I'm not finished yet. I'm not finished growing. Awesome. I'm not finished living. I still got to beat Bruce Jones out of some money. It's <laughs> always next. You heard it here. We have it recorded. Yep. Yeah. Uh, well, well, thank, thank you. you. And yeah. thanks for this time. That was, yeah. uh, it was good for me. I appreciate yeah. it. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Connection Podcast. We are coming back soon, guys. We have an interview with Stetson Bear this Sunday, and we have several other great interviews coming up. We have finally gotten our new sticker in, and we're going to do a pop socket as a couple of promotionals. If you want one, come find me or just show up on the set someday, and we'll totally hook you up. This promotional item, many people who are diehards of the series will know about the butterfly and then the butterfly with a jackhammer. Um, as referenced in Tina Marchand's episode, Reed Stockwell's episode, and then several others. Anyway, until next time, guys, take care. Thank you for being listeners. Bye.